Maybe seated. Hey, let me apologize for some of my attitude for towards this stuff. I get a little riled up sometimes. No um, say some things maybe I shouldn't say, but uh, anyway, whatever. Hey, if the GBD, GBUSD has followed the suit of every other school, public school district in the country and canceled school for a while. They're being proactive and still take care of kids' needs as far as food and that type of stuff, and, um, which I appreciate the leadership that they're, that they're providing, what they're doing. But I do want to say this, that if you've if you got kids and you want them to go to school, take them to a manual school in Reedley because they're not canceling their school yet. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Rick's just bitter. He's got to get up and actually have kids tomorrow. So, uh. hey, I'm starting this new series uh, called The Wrong Jesus. Um, and what I want to talk about is what we get wrong about Jesus and how because of our wrong beliefs about him, we end up following the wrong Jesus. Because if you don't believe the right things about Jesus, you can't follow the right one. And so we're going to look at different passages in Scripture and, and times in his life where people thought something erroneous about him, and it ended up following him the wrong way. Uh, and we'll see if there's any correlation to our lives in that. Like I said, I did not plan this message around the coronavirus at all. But as we go through it, I trust that you're aware enough to make the correlations yourself. There have been some news media that has suggested that millennials are leaving the church in large numbers. That may or may not be true. It depends on which news media you listen to and which country you're talking about. But we have seen in our country the emergence of what's called the nuns. The nuns are those with no affiliation. No affiliation to religious organizations, no affiliation to political parties, and no even affiliations to genders. But another source that I read has said this, and counter to that, that religious and married parents who nurture substantially more balanced children than non-religious and non-married parents. So much so that what the study reveals is that the children of parents whose parents show a high commitment to religious education, Sunday school, reading scripture at home and going to church, 93% 93% of those kids remain faithful as adults. So the idea is this, that if a new generation are not continuing in the faith, in part it's because their parents aren't carrying in the church. And they're not seeing the church at home. And they don't see the parents talk about Scripture and read Scripture and read the Word and talk about it or pray publicly at home in the life of their church. So here's what I know. When we change what the kids see at home, we'll change who the kids become. You understand what I'm saying? There's great correlation in every area of life to this. And I guarantee you, when the kids see fear at home because of the coronavirus, they will become fearful. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do our kids, and I don't care how old your kids are, Little or old. I still need to see this in my parents. And I'm thankful that I do. But do our kids, if you have kids, do your kids know that you're praying for them? And do they not just know that you're praying, but do they know what you're praying? Do your parents see, do do, do kids see their parents serving at church? Not just going. Leading at church. 
not just existing. Do, do, do the kids see parents going to God before they go to the pediatrician or the doctor? I'm not saying don't. I'm saying go to God first. When the kids are little, do they see parents praying with them before they do other things during the day? Do they see them praying with them before they go out of the house? Do they see them praying before, with them before they get out of the car to go to school? Do, parents, do, do, do kids see their parents honoring God with the tithe? Do, do kids see parents treating the idiots in their world with mercy and grace? I mean, it's all that we have to... So let's not lay the burden of continuing in the faith primarily at the feet of the local church. Let's lay it first where it belongs at the feet of the parents and the threshold of the home. Do you understand? Here's what I know. Mentoring at church will never override what's modeled at home. Mentoring at church will never override what's modeled at home. And so this, I want, all I want this to do is set up this series. Because if we model at home following a wrong Jesus, guess what our kids will do? Do you understand what I'm saying? And this isn't to lay burden or guilt, it's just to expose reality and responsibility. Especially as we talk about and think about how we act in light of what's going on in our world right now, the response to coronavirus it's very important. It's very important. What we believe about God, about Jesus, and how we follow Him. And so I want to talk very bluntly in this first message, setting up this series about the wrong Jesus. And to do that, I want to go to a story in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to Mark chapter 4. It's the first gospel record of Jesus. The first written gospel, the record, the written record that we have of Jesus, and Mark picks up right as at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So he's he's young thirties right now when when Mark opens. Like there's no there's no preamble to Jesus' life. Matthew and 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 Luke and John have that. John has the eternal preamble. But much of, much of what's in the, the other Gospels follow what's in Mark, because it was the first one. And in Mark, Mark presents the disciples as following Jesus and listening to Jesus. And, and it presents his 12 disciples, the closest ones, as those who will share in ministry along with him. Now, they won't exercise that authority that they have in ministry for quite some time, as they're just kind of figuring it out, much like us. Supposedly, we've heard these things Jesus say. We've heard this authority that we're supposed to have in our relationship with Him. I mean, He conquered death for heaven's sake. We have authority. And if, if He and the Holy Spirit are in us, we have authority. But we don't really know how that fleshes out in the real world. It takes us a while to figure that out. Just like the disciples. And in the, in, in the book of Mark, Jesus has been explaining His teaching. Like He would teach the multitudes. Then He would pull the twelve aside and say, let me tell you what that meant. Then we teach the multitudes. You pull the twelve aside and say, "Let me explain this to you." You teach the multitudes. You pull the twelve aside and say, let, 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 "Let me give you insight into what I'm really talking about." And so, as he teaches, he's explaining. And even though he's explaining to the disciples what he's meaning in his teaching, the disciples still don't know yet what they think about him. They're still a little bit unsure about what this all means. 
And in the book of Mark, there are a couple times when Jesus crosses a lake. Those are significant times. One of them is in Mark chapter 4 we're going to look at today. But when those lake crossings serve as an opportunity for the, for the disciples to reveal what they know and what they don't know about Jesus and what they think about Jesus and what they got wrong about him. And what we're going to see in these lake crossings is very similar to what we go through. And in these times, it reveals in us what we know about him and what we don't know about him, what we believe about him, what we get wrong about him. So here's my question. Is who God is determined by the circumstances we face? Or is who God is Determined about what he has said about himself. Do you understand? Now, in our minds, most people would suggest that God is who God is based on what he said about himself, right? Danny, you got to quit coughing. You're going to freak people out. I know you did, but I'm, you're coughing. Elbow, dismember. So most people would say God is who he is because of what he said about himself. But what we believe, based on what I'm going through, God must, do you understand? And when we revert to that, we follow a wrong Jesus. God is who he is because of what he said. End of this, I mean, that's it. See, we make judgments based on who God is, based on what we experience in life. Thus, God is either powerful or incapable. He's either involved or he's distant. He is either caring or uncaring based on what we experience in the moment oftentimes. And it's real hard to continue believing that God cares about me when nothing's going right. It's real hard to believe that God is present with me when everybody else has abandoned me and I can't feel him anymore. It's real hard for me to believe that God is all powerful when all hell's breaking loose. Right? And when we give in to that type of understanding about who God is based on what I experienced, we follow a wrong Jesus. So who is this Jesus? Who is this God? So this new series, Wrong Jesus. What we get wrong. Matthew 4, 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, read it out loud with your mouths open, ready, set, go. Let us go over to the other sides. So what did he say? Let's go over to their side. What's the implication? They're going to go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, read out loud with your mouths open, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What was the implication? Jesus didn't care and they're going to drown. Jesus got up and root the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet or quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind, the wind. Notice something. What were they first afraid of? Storm. What do they end up being afraid of? The real Jesus. The question that they first asked him because of the circumstances they were in was what? Because of the circumstances they were in, because of what they were saying, what was the question they asked Jesus? Don't you care about me? Have you ever been there? Before we throw the disciples under the bus, let's, I wonder if we've been there. Because of what we're experiencing, what, doesn't God care? See, the question, don't you care about, is different from will you take care of. See, if you care about me but don't take care of me, what good does it do for you to care about me? Do you understand? We'll get to, the other, we'll get to that other question, will you take care of me next week? Here's what happens. When Jesus teaches something, you need to know this. Because as you, as, you, as, you, as you hear the word, as you read it, when Jesus teaches you, when the word teaches you something, there will come a time of one of two things, testing or tempting. Every time. When you learn something of God, there will either come a time of testing or a time of tempting. Now, here's the difference. A time of testing will come in order that God might employ you to make sure that we believe what we've under, and understand the teaching. Or a time of tempting will come that it might destroy you, not employ you. And that's to introduce fear and to make us doubt. This all, one of these two things always happens after there's been teaching. A testing, do you understand what I just, God says, do you understand what I just told you? Or a time of tempting to cause fear leading to doubt. To doubt what? To doubt the word. Do you understand? So don't be surprised after you've heard something where stuff starts getting difficult. Because it's either testing or it's tempting. Now testing comes from God that it might employ you. Tempting comes from the evil one that it might destroy you. So be careful how you respond. Jesus just, he was just teaching the disciples, the, the, the multitudes, parables about what? About the kingdom of God. In other words, the reign of God. His almighty sovereign reign in the world. He, he just taught them all that. And he says, in light of everything I've just told you, now we're going to do something. And we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus just taught the parables about, about the, the kingdom of God and the overarching theme of his reign over all. And then he says, we're going to go over to the other side. He gave them his word. And then they get into this storm. So he had just taught them, and then came either a tempting or a testing. The storm. Do you understand? This happens in our lives all the time. We get so freaked out about it. So was the storm... Testing or was the storm tempting? Are you guessing or do you know? Let me tell you what I know. The storm was, tempt, was a temptation of the evil one. This was no ordinary storm. This was a storm that was influenced by the gates of hell itself. Here's how I know. 
the storm was of the devil that was intended to tempt the disciples to fear and then to doubt. Here's how I know. What did Jesus say to the storm, to the waves? Do you remember? Quiet. Be still. Does that sound like you're talking to a toddler? Right? The, those, that command, quiet, be still, are the exact words that Jesus used when he silences demons and casts them out. Exact same words. You're not talking to waves and storm. Matthew 1.25. Be quiet. Exact same words when you talk to the storm. Come out. Exact same words. This storm was no ordinary storm. There was something that was at play. And here's what I know, and here's what we've got to understand. There is a reality and a world that is still unseen to our natural eyes. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. Hebrews says that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are inherent salvation to help. There's a whole world that we don't see with our natural eyes. And in this, I'm not saying every storm is a result of this. It's not. But in this case, it was. The disciples had just heard about the reign of God, and then the devil says, okay, let me come on and see if I can break that up. So here's the thing. Get this. When, we are in, when you're in a storm, be careful how you respond to it. Be careful how you respond. Now, I told you this was not a message about the coronavirus. You make the application. When you are in a storm, be careful about how you respond. It will be a storm of temptation when it's intended to destroy you, to introduce fear, and to cause you to doubt. Do you understand? So what do you do? When you're tempted to fear and doubt the Word of God and what you've learned, what do you do? Well, one, you take control over it. Fear is a spirit. God has not given you the spirit of fear is what the Bible says. You take control over it and you trust God's word. And you claim victory because you have authority to trample on lion and cobra and trample the great lion and serpent, the devil and the demon is what that means. And you submit to God and resist the devil and he's got to run. That's what the book of James says. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. If, you, if the storm you're in is simply a, a, a time of testing where you can't yet see how God is going to, but you know that God will, then you keep believing God will. It's just a time of testing to prove that you know what He taught. Do you understand? Never in those do we jump to the conclusion, don't you care? Maybe easier said than done. But in those times of testing, here's what we do. We move against the natural to allow the supernatural to be revealed. In times of test, you move against the natural and you continue to believe in faith, to walk in faith, even though if it doesn't look like it should make sense, to so that the supernatural can be revealed. Because the supernatural is never revealed before the natural is moved against. Ever in Scripture. I mean, did you realize when Jesus was on the shore teaching, he told the disciples, he said to the disciples, what? Let's get in the boat and what? Go to the other side. Did they ever ask him why? Did he ever say why? Did you ever notice that? He never gave an explanation for his desire to cross the Sea of Galilee. 
What's, what's more baffling about that is this was at nighttime. He never gave them a reason why let's, like, like I want to go at night across it. Why not wait until the morning time? It would make more sense. And not only would it make more sense, it would be safer. Why not wait till it's safer to move? Why not wait till it's safer to follow? Why not wait till it's more reasonable? Have you ever taught yourself out of doing something? That even maybe you thought God was leading you to? Well, it just doesn't make sense right now. It's just not reasonable. There ought to be a better time. Don't work with my schedule. Don't work with my finances. People are getting sick. It's just not safe. He never gave a reason why I wanted to go at night when it was unreasonable and unsafe. And yet the disciples were like, all right. Here's why. Here's why Jesus didn't give a reason. Here's why he didn't give an explanation. And here's why he wouldn't have my cross in the night. Here's why. Because Jesus isn't worried about storms. You understand that? He's not negligent. I'm not suggesting he's negligent. He's not negligent at all. He's just not concerned with what we term danger. He's just not concerned with what we term unreasonable. See, nothing will inhibit his desire to minister on the other side. Jesus is the, the right Jesus is the one who crosses lakes and storms. The wrong Jesus is the one who waits for better conditions. Which one do you follow? The right Jesus takes us along with them. The wrong Jesus says, wait here, let me prove to you it's okay. The right Jesus says, there are new lands that I want you to experience with me. The wrong Jesus says, just stay where you're comfortable, where you know what's... See, in the end, it doesn't matter what threatens to keep Jesus from crossing the lake. In the end, his plan will not be thwarted and his word will not be deterred. Do you understand? So this great storm materializes and it threatens to sink the boat. Now these disciples, what do they do for a living? Do you know? What do they do for a living? They were fishermen. Had they been on the lake before? Had they navigated those waters before? Did they know the boat, the ins and outs of selling that boat? Yes, and they still thought they were going to what? Die. This indicates that this was a serious storm. That was no, there's no indication that they're overreacting. These were serious fishermen. You ever seen the deadliest catch on the Bering Sea? I mean, that's what these guys were. The, the, the indication is that this was not a common storm. Here's what I know, and this is true for all of us. They expected a normal storm. A normal storm wouldn't have frightened them. See, they were used to a certain amount of wind and rain, but this one was different. It was, this storm that they were in was outside their normal scope of experience. And they were petrified. See, based on this out-of-ordinary experience they were in, they determined Jesus didn't care. Now, here's the correlation. It's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with us. I wrote this down because I want you to get it. We're comfortable. See if this isn't true. We're comfortable with a certain level of pain and discomfort. But when that pain exceeds what we normally experience, fear sets in and creates doubt. 
and we end up believing in a wrong Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like we're comfortable with the normal amount of suffering that I'm supposed to go through. I'm not always going to get a parking space at River Park. I'm comfortable with that. You, you understand? Like I'm comfortable with normal colds. Sometimes I'm comfortable with the flu. Everybody gets it. No big deal. But when my experience of the pain, the discomfort, the, the, the imbalance exceeds what I'm normally used to, then it gets scary. Right? Either this makes no sense whatsoever or there might be a nerve getting touched right now. And out of, because we've experienced something abnormal than what we're used to, some pain, discomfort, some issue, we end up like fearful and doubting what God has said and believing the wrong Jesus. See, the disciples' words revealed what they had already figured out, how things must end. And they assume the worst case scenario. Here, get, understand this. Don't write the end of the story that God hasn't yet revealed. He doesn't need your help writing a story. Until God writes it, it's not determined. And what if they had, just think for a minute, what if they had sank? Which they couldn't because Jesus said, let's go to their side. And when Jesus said, let's go to their side, they're going to get to their side. But let's assume that they could have sank even though they couldn't. What if they would have sank and died at the bottom of the lake? What then? What, what then? Okay, seriously. I just had this conversation with someone in my office who was freaking out about something. I said, what if? What if you get it? What if, what if the side died at the bottom of the lake? And he looked at me like you are. You know what if. What if they died at the bottom of the lake? They go to heaven. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is better. I go to heaven. Earlier than I thought it would? Yeah. But it's heaven. Do you understand? Will we mourn and be sad? Yeah, we'll eat potato salad at the church and then go back to work the next day. And then you're in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? So even if they would have died and been at the bottom of the lake, terrible. I'm not making light. Like, that is bad for those here. But heaven's the result. Like, let's not lose our minds about this Jesus. It's interesting, you said we will cross over. He said we will cross over. Understand, not even their doubt, get this, not even their doubt, understand, not even their doubt could negate Jesus' words. That's such good news. That's so encouraging, because that means that I don't have to have perfect faith. You understand? Like, His words are true, and they happen even if I don't fully believe it. That's why the disciples said, I believe, help my unbelief. I get part of it, help me with what I don't get. Their doubt didn't have to be perfect for God to fulfill what he said he would do. 
And instantly, once Jesus spoke it, this whole scene transformed. There was a great calm. There's been a great fear. There's been a great storm. And now there's a great calm. Same word used in the, in, in the Greek all through. It's called megos, which means huge. Huge storm, huge fear, huge calm. The interesting thing to me is that there was no magic procedure that Jesus had to use in order to have control over the natural world. There wasn't some magic formula. There wasn't some magic prayer. There wasn't some formula. There was no magic formula, prayer, or process when he overwhelmed unclean spirits. There was no magical prayer, process, or formula he had to use in dealing with potentially life-threatening diseases. There was no magic prayer, process, or formula when dealing with broken bodies and death. He just spoke or touched and the thing that had once brought destruction, that compounded suffering, lost the capacity to harm at his word. Here's what I know. And we've got to get this. If you want to believe the right Jesus, we've got to get this. This is so important. That Jesus continually engineers endings that people don't expect. That's what he does. Over and over and over, he overturns outcomes that appear inescapable. And it's the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they're getting thrown in the furnace. I know my God will, but even if he doesn't, we're not changing what we believe about him. We know he can, but even if he doesn't, then change who he is. Change my experience, but change who he is. And the reason why Jesus continually engineers endings that people don't expect is, is, because, is because of the full measure of mercy and the full magnitude of his grace. Completely at his discretion. Based on his mercy and his grace. Not by some formula. Not by some act of behavior. See, we, we can't get into storms and ask Jesus to calm them because we think we're good, that we're good enough for him to consider doing it. And, and that's what a lot of people do. They get in a storm, they think, I've got to get stuff cleaned up in my life so God will. But we, we can't expect that God to do something because we followed the right prescription necessarily. That's going all the way back to religion and to law and avoids God of his mercy and his grace. Now, if our storm is self-imposed because of what we're doing, yeah, you got to get out of that yourself. But to ask God to move because you have goes back to law and grace, and it negates mercy and grace. Don't sacrifice mercy and grace for law and behavior. Don't sacrifice it. Jesus continually acts in concert with what the Father's already done. He continues to act in concert with what he's seen the Father already do. He's not making this stuff, stuff up as he goes. John 5.19 says, the, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whoever the, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What, what he's done is nothing new to what God the Father's already done. The miracles, the power, the authority. He's just stepping in concert, acting according to what he's seen God already do, and he acts with God's full authority. He did it back in New Testament times. He still does it in your life. Notice the response of the disciples. 
their, their lives were in danger of being lived following the wrong Jesus. That's what was at stake here. They were at stake of living their lives following the wrong Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss him. He doesn't want us to miss him. See, the disciples were consumed with a great fear because of a great storm. Just think, have you ever been in a great storm that caused you to have great fear? We all have. We all have. And guess what? We're going to have more. You understand? You realize that? And, and, and maybe Jesus' solution was more terrifying than the storm. Because after Jesus calmed the storm, they were filled with great fear about him. You understand? Now watch now. For them, the prospect of lying dead at the bottom of the lake was less fearful than the absolute lordship and authority of Christ. We have to be careful that we don't live in the danger of saying, I'd rather do life my way, even if it costs me, than give myself wholly to the lordship and authority of one who has a master over all things. Do you understand? Don't follow the wrong Jesus. Thinking that he don't care if you live your own way. Think about it for a minute. Why did the disciples even wake him if they didn't think he was able to do anything? Why did they even bother? So here's what I think, and this is what we do. Here's what I think. We want Jesus to do something. We just don't want him to do something crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, don't, mind, we don't mind a powerful Jesus, but we want our powerful Jesus to be a little bit tame. Like, we want him to do stuff. We just want him to do stuff like we're used to him doing stuff. Don't get radical on me now. See, and here's the other thing. We don't want Jesus to be too comfortable in the storms that we're in. Like, we want him to be a little bit worried. Here's how I know. Because if Jesus is comfortable in the storms that we're in, what is his urgency to calm them? Do you understand the implication? Most of us don't really want the all-powerful God in our lives. We want a God we want a who's a little bit worried about what we're worried about. Because if he's not worried about the storm, why is he going to calm it? So if we really want the all-powerful, mighty God to be in us, we got to be comfortable that he's not worried about the storm. If he's not worried about the storm, he might not let it go. We want Jesus to be a little bit scared. Otherwise, there's no influence on him to act, we think. It's funny what we want from him, isn't it? If Jesus demanded that much faith, if he commanded that much authority, he's not to be trifled with and he's not to be toyed with. Do you understand? Now listen, this is the real Jesus. Which one are you following? See, here's the implication. 
If you follow the wrong Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. If you follow the right Jesus, you're going to be fearful. That, that's, that's part of it. That's part of it. So here's the thing. Jesus ends the storm and restores the sea to calm. Why? Listen, calming the storm did not necessarily appear to be necessary to get to the other side. He didn't have to calm the storm to get to the other side. Why did he calm it? He said, we're going to go across, and then he went into a storm. It didn't appear to be necessary. And then, after calming the storm, he rebukes the disciples for not having faith because they should have trusted him that nothing would happen to them as long as Jesus was with them. Apparently, had Jesus not calmed the storm, they would have gotten across just fine. You understand that? It had nothing to do with their safety. Apparently, Jesus is comfortable and at peace in storms because they don't scare him. And if he's in st- with us and we're in storms, we ought, they ought not scare us either. In Matthew 5, verse 1, Jesus got to the other side. And here's what I love about the continuation of this story. He got to the other side. And when he got to the other side, he didn't abandon the faithless disciples on the shore. Which is good news. Because he had more for them to experience. He had more for them to experience with him. Now he understand, and I'm going to wrap this up. I, I know I'm like way over my time, but I just, there's a couple, just understand this. He didn't leave his faithless disciples on the shore because there was more he wanted to experience. See, here's the thing. He wants his disciples. He wants, still does. It's current. He still wants his disciples to experience fearfulness that his actions provoke. Understand what I'm saying? He wants his disciples to experience fearfulness that his actions provoke so that one day they will fear no storm. You understand? Like he wants to take us into experiences that for us at times are full of fear so that we will learn that with him there is no storm by which to fear so that one day, not, even, not only not fearing the storm, does that one day we'll walk on the waves. Do you understand? For now, because they began to experience the real Jesus, for now in the storm of Eric, it separated them from the wrong Jesus because that's the purpose of storm. The purpose of, purpose of storms is to separate us from the wrong Jesus to the right Jesus. And because for now in that storm they followed the right Jesus, not only now fearful of, uh, not fearful of the ways, able to walk on the ways, for now, because they followed the right Jesus, for now the disciples will keep getting into boats with him. And that's what he's asked us to do. Just keep getting in the boat. If I'm in a boat and you're in a boat, the boat's going to be okay. In other words, continue to follow him, which is what he asked them to do in the first place. Just follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Right? Do you see the process he takes them through to learn how to follow the right Jesus? It's not always through the good stuff and prosperity. Sometimes it's through storms that are frightfully scary. And so here's the thing. Jesus invites us to follow him. Leaving the expectations of the wrong Jesus. And following him even in storms. 
Don't have expectations of the wrong Jesus. If you love me, why don't you? The wrong Jesus says, just stay there. I'll take care of the storm. You don't have to bear. The wrong Jesus says, just stay what you know. I'm not going to. The right Jesus says, we're going to go somewhere. Don't worry about the journey. I'm going to take you somewhere. Yeah, we're going to go through a storm, but don't worry about that. I'm going to get you to the other side. Whether the other side is deliverance through the storm or the other side's heaven, I'm going to get you to the other side. The storm doesn't scare me. Don't let it scare you. You've got to follow me in it and not fear the storm you're in. There's a lyric of a song that says, that, that, that says you know, fear is, 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 is just the emotion we have when it's losing its breath. It's, it's fleeting. It's going away. Whatever storm you're in right now, let it separate you from the wrong Jesus and trust in the real Jesus. To get you to the other side, you're going to get there. The only time you jump out of the boat is when Jesus says, come on, let's go. Then you jump out. And you jump out and you dance on the waves. But you don't jump out because you're scared. That's a wrong Jesus. That's a wrong disciple. See, what I know is the God who calmed the storm also caused the storm. And the reason he caused the storm was both to prove his word and so that we might believe his word. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a wrong Jesus who's going to leave you on the shore comfortable. And there's a right Jesus that's going to walk with you through storms to get you to the other side. You follow the wrong Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. You follow the right Jesus, you're going to be scared sometimes. But you're going to be safe. Do you understand what I'm saying? Follow the right one. I'm going to tell you, it is scary, but it is fun. Because ultimately, ultimately you know how the whole thing ends. You know how the whole thing plays out. There's no reason for fear nor consternation. There's just the opportunity to step into the boat. So you want to take me through a storm? As long as you're with me, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go with you. And in that process, you start to experience this fearfully awesome presence of the Almighty God who's chosen to take up residency in you and alongside you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the place to be in any storm. Follow the right Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you.